Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. You're listening to Linux in the Ham Shack. LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source and amateur radio for everyone. Now here are your hosts, Russ, K5TUX, Cheryl, W5MOO, and Bill, NE4RD. Well, hello everybody and welcome. You have tuned in to episode number 263 of Linux in the Ham Shack. I'm Russ, K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, NE4RD. All right, so here we go. We are wrapping up this year pretty quickly. We have two more episodes to go after this one. So then we're going to take a little break and enjoy some time off, and hopefully you all will get to enjoy some time off as well. But before we do that, we're going to talk about some stuff. And this is our short topic episode, so we're going to talk about some short topics. And I threw in a lead topic for tonight. Yay, maybe. (laughs) And I titled this lead topic, Net Neutrality Returns, maybe. Oh, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Well, net neutrality is certainly a hot-button issue when it comes to the intertubes and all that good stuff. So I found an article on CNET. Um, You can find articles about this lots of other places, too. But on December 10th, that's actually today as we record this, that was supposed to be the deadline for the U.S. House of Representatives to gather enough signatures to force a vote on a Congressional Review Act petition that would roll back the FCC's repeal of the popular 2015 rules. But thanks to the showdown between Democrats in Congress and Trump over a federal spending resolution to keep the government open, net neutrality supporters have more time to gather the 218 signatures needed to force a vote on the House floor. The FCC's decision almost a year ago to repeal net neutrality rules has pitted Internet service providers like AT&T and Comcast against Internet companies like Facebook, Google, and Mozilla, and average Internet users. Supporters of the CRA to reinstate net neutrality acknowledge it's an uphill battle that they're likely to lose. The resolution needs 218 signatures in the House, but it currently only has 178 votes in favor. Still, supporters say they aren't giving up hope. Uh, The grassroots fight for the future organized its last online day of action in late November to get sites like Reddit, Airbnb, and others, along with individuals to contact congressional leaders to support the measure. So apparently Bill is anti-net neutrality. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm only anti-net neutrality because people don't have any freaking clue what it means to have it and what it doesn't mean to have it and what the difference is. Well, the biggest and, part of net neutrality that everyone sort of understands is the idea of throttling and bandwidth caps and Okay, so tell me charges. what ISP has never done throttling and never done QoS and right. never done... Oh, wait, that's been around since uh, the internet began. <laughs> <laughs> we call it traffic shaping. Yes. And we call it network management. <laughs> and we call it a lot of other words um, that have not changed... In the many, many years since I have not been a network engineer, <laughs> for some reason, they still do the same thing. 
And we do the same thing with traffic. And I mean, we know big companies like Netflix and stuff like that, that push through a lot of data. They're not streaming data from, you know, California or whatever to your house in Florida. Uh, they install boxes that cache everything they have all over the place to various ISPs to help alleviate the actual bandwidth being wasted across the uh, big internet pipes. So a lot of this stuff doesn't even exist as a problem in the whole uh, architecture of the internet. Basically, all we're looking at is just a way to tax and control, just like the phone companies. Right. And you're for that. You want tax and control. Well, that's what it is now, right? Under uh, if it's uh, Title Four or what, or Title Two, whatever the heck it is. <clears throat> well, yes, when it's treated actually, like a phone company. That's right. It is currently that because that's what the rules are, and those are the rules they're they're trying to get rid of. So. Oh yeah, they want to go back to pre. Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, that gets back to taxation. <laughs> 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 they're trying to move it away from one pile of hands for the money to another pile of hands for the money. Right. It has absolutely nothing to do with the consumer. The consumer would be screwed either way. <laughs> yeah. It, go check out your internet bill. It, it It's constantly going up and go check out your speeds. They're constantly going down. It's it's a hot button issue either way, for sure. The, the general idea is that consumers are affected by it in a way that makes net neutrality popular for the consumer. But honestly, since they repealed the rules, I haven't seen much in the way of change. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, getting getting charged extra for that fast lane now that they have, uh, yeah, uh, no, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it has absolutely nothing to do with the consumer. This is just all you know, fud. <laughs> <laughs> it probably does affect the large companies, the ones who really pass data around the internet. But it- well, yeah, they want to work out deals to alleviate the the need to pass around large amounts of data. That's why they deal with the you know getting these boxes and stuff like that where they can have caching servers, you know, and proxies and everything else to the services so they don't have to pass that data across their, you know, limited pipes so they can pass, you know, other data like porn and stuff like that. Right. And I'm kind of drawing a brain, uh, brain blank here, but what was that big company that may or may not still exist that used to pass all that data? It begins with A. It's not Amazon. Oh, Akamai? Akamai. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. However you pronounce it, I don't care. So something, something like that, yeah. I, I think they're know. still around. Aren't they still around? They're, they're just, or they I'm become sure part they of like Cloudfair or something like that, or one of the big aggregation networks. Well, it used to be that when you streamed anything on the internet, if you actually looked up the host of whatever that IP address was, where your stream was coming from, it was Akamai. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. I mean, there's services and companies that do this, like Cashfly and, and a bunch of other ones that basically provide this service. This is what AWS has for Cloudflare and a bunch of other CDNs that you know basically push this data out closer to the edge networks so that there's not a lot of transport involved. Yeah, okay, Don. Don is saying Akamai still exists, so. Yes, yeah. it does. I'm sure that yeah. it does, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, I mean, you know, there's there's ways that we've been mitigating this because we realize this is a problem. And we don't want to pass the same data, you know, multiple times, especially stream data, in a way in which you're replicating it across the same pipe. It just is stupid. It doesn't make any sense to do that. No. And that's why there's also multicast. So. Yep, exactly. Multicast, yeah. All right. Well, that's enough of a hot button topic for tonight. We can move on to our amateur radio segment for the evening. And Bill, tell us about some satellite type stuff. Yeah, I was noticing a, uh, a succession of uh, posts over there on Southgate about uh, 
all these uh, all these satellites that went up on December third on the SpaceX launch that many of us were in the chat room and kind of live watching. They're finally earning their uh, their stripes or their designators, as they call it. So uh, the following ones have been assigned. JY1Sat is now JO-97. Fox 1 Cliff, which is the one we had the story about, is now AO-95. And ExceedSat is now VO-96. Uh, check out AMSAT's status page or SATNOGS for more information. And, of course, those came from Southgate. And I think there was another one on Southgate where they're still trying to gather more telemetry data, probably before it gets or earns its designator. So be on the lookout to help those projects, help them, uh, you know, if you got the satellite set up and everything else, go grab the software and uh, help these guys uh, grab the telemetry uh, uh, beacons. All right. Very cool. I like how we're focusing on satellite a little bit here. And with the Satnox project, I kind of want to get into it. I'm actually would love to actually build their rotator and actually set up a real ground station. That'd be kind of cool. But yeah, time, you know, time is the enemy. So. <laughs> <You have time? laughs> no, that's what I'm saying. I don't. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. All right. So I'll do this one and then Cheryl, you can do the next one. How about that? Okay. Okay. Uh, the CW ops award for advancing the art of CW CW ops is pleased to announce that it is now accepting nominations for this prestigious award for the year 2019. So who's calling it prestigious? Are they calling it prestigious? <laughs> Absolutely. They give it out a date and it's got to be prestigious. Oh, okay. oh yeah. yeah. The purpose of the award is to recognize individuals, groups, or organizations that have made the greatest contributions toward advancing the art of practice of or practice of radio communications by Morse code. The criteria for obtaining this award candidates for the award may be one or more of the following authors of publications related to CW, CW recruiters, trainers, mentors, coaches, and instructors, public advocates of CW, organizers of CW activities, designers and inventors who advance the art or practice of CW, or other contributors to the art or practice of CW. Well, that kind of limits it to everybody. So note, the award is not limited to amateur radio operators and organizations. And this also came from Southgate. So there you go. You can just nominate anyone because you can be anyone. If you are an <laughs> other contributor to the art or practice of CW, that makes you a human being. So, If you're just thinking about how nice CW is and the fact that you do not know it, you could be nominated. There you go. That's because you just true. think it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. No, actually, I d I've done a couple of nominations uh, last year and the, and the year before. And uh, the CW Ops is a, is a great program anyway for uh, uh, creating uh, additional CW activity. They have these great little, uh, um, little sprints on, uh, I think, I don't know. It's like every, every second or third Wednesday or something, <laughs> some random schedule. I've caught it like once or twice, uh, randomly. And, uh, yeah, they'll do like little sprints, a little mini contest in the middle of the week in the evening. So it's a, it's a pretty cool little group. And, uh, well, probably it's not little. <laughs> it's, a, it's a pretty large group. And, uh, the, the dinner, the, of course, the award gets uh, done in a date and, uh, obviously attracts a lot of people as well. So, uh, yeah, if you know somebody that is, uh, you know, teaching Morse code or Elmering people to learn Morse code or helping anybody get involved in Morse code and, you know, don't be afraid to send an email, you know, however simple it is, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah, make it known that uh, these people are out there uh, advancing the, uh, the, the, the art of Morse, the, the art of Morse, <laughs> Morse art. Yes. Mart. 
Mert. Let's see how how can, how can we condense it down to a single consonant. All right. So very good. Nominate someone who advances the art of CW. Uh, and jumping back to the last story in the chat room, we had a comment from Don KB2YSI who says that Fox One Cliff will not be commissioned as AO95 because of an issue with the satellite's receiver. So, bummer. Well, it's not going to be commissioned. It, it's still got its designator. Okay. But so it'll be AO95. It'll just be useless. <laughs> yeah. We have plenty of those birds up uh, in the air that have designators and they're completely useless. <laughs> Or they work like once in a while when they're spinning in the right direction or whatever. So, uh, yeah, that's interesting that they're having issues with it. Was the launch uh, from SpaceX the other day, was that the Fox 1 Cliff one or was that the one after it? Yeah. Yeah, it was the one on the third. So it was, uh, it, yeah, it wasn't the, the very last one. That was, uh, wasn't that a resupply mission or something like that? I don't remember. I just, I watched the video of it and it's incredibly cool watching that rocket. Yeah. So. I mean, watching the rocket yeah. go up, not that impressive. Watching it come back down, that's yeah, impressive. Right. Yeah, the the last one that they uh, shot off over there in, uh, what, off of Vandenberg, uh, they they dropped the uh, booster into the water. Oh, that's not the one I saw. Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> that that was the one that was, like, midweek, I think, on the 9th or something. Not 9th. It was, uh, it was towards the end of the week. Oh, I watched the one where it actually landed, so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's happening more frequently, and there's even uh, one coming up in uh, what, New Zealand now too. They're actually going to launch one from New Zealand, I think. That's what I heard. All right, cool. So, you can yeah, get the outer space from New Zealand. Yeah, I guess. I, I think I guess so. I, have the... I think the way it works is you can get to outer space from pretty much anywhere. Oh wow! Yeah, cool. <laughs> I, uh, I think it's a type of orbit they're looking for, or whatever. So it might, yeah, it might be depending on where you launch from. It might be easier to establish a certain orbit. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. Yeah. KD zero IJP says that's the one uh, with Rocket Labs, and uh, I think NASA is doing it. So uh, yeah, that one has a bunch of cube sets on it. So I hadn't seen any. I was I was going to put that in here if we had any. If they listed any specific amateur radio ones, I'm sure some of them do have amateur radio payloads. There's a bunch of college uh, cube sets in it. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, should be should be interesting. We'll probably cover that when it gets a little closer to launch time. Cool. All right. Sounds good. So moving on in our amateur radio topics, we have another one. Yes, yes, we do. Jerry Ellsworth, AI6TK, is back with some new content on YouTube. She has a new video on magnetic loop antennas that goes over in detail with good visuals on how the current and voltage is distributed around the loop. Definitely an interesting watch if you want to learn how things work. And the information to access that video, which is on YouTube, it's on YouTube. Yeah, it's on the YouTube. It's on the tubes. Now, now Bill wrote yeah. this in a way that means he wants to flesh out the story a little bit. So, you're supposed to correct them in your brain as you're reading. I did. Oh, yeah. okay. I haven't corrected yeah. them yet. I'm going to go correct them. I now. see. Oh, so. good. good. <laughs> yeah, anyway, uh, yeah, I caught this video. Uh, it was, I guess she published it the, uh, the other day. And uh, it, w- it was interesting. She had a little loop, and uh, she had some LEDs on the outside and then some lights on the inside. And it kind of showed, like, as you increase power, how 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 the power flows around the loop, <laughs> and uh, and goes into really good detail. And it's 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 kind of interesting because I do have a loop antenna, 
And it's, it's really no different than any other kind of antenna. Um, you know, how it distributes the current is just, it's interesting to, to kind of see it all in such a small scale in front of you <laughs> with light bulbs and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We'll have to go check out the video. Very good. Yeah. She's putting out a bunch of other videos too. It's like, uh, seems to be like a little mini competition or mini activity, uh, rush, uh, here. So, uh, uh, she's definitely, uh, have quite a few extra videos in her, uh, in her channel. So All right, check it out. there's some stuff you can do while you're waiting for the next episode of Linux in the ham shack to come out. Sweet. <laughs> All right, so moving on, we're going to touch on some open source topics for the evening. And the first one is how to create your own free Adobe Creative Cloud with open source software. Hmm, interesting. So this is a list of applications you can use in place of the things that are in the Adobe Creative Cloud suite. Uh, for example, while the software, the paid software, has its strong benefits, it's, you know, pricey. If you want to accomplish most of what you can do with Creative Cloud, you can pay nothing by using certain things. For example, you can substitute GIMP for Photoshop, which I already do. You can substitute Digicam for Lightroom. Digicam is not one that I've actually tried. I've, uh, what's the one? It's Lightworks. I've used Lightworks. Oh, no, I've done, yeah, and I've done Darktable. So. Okay, Lightworks and Darktable. Uh, let's see, was there anything else for video? There's like, um, was it Reaper? Or am I? Oh thinking? no, that's for this is for this is for uh, uh, photos. What was it? What does Light Reaper do? Light oh, Reaper is an audio, like audio workstation. That's right. <clears throat> yeah. Right. Yeah. Lightroom is more for uh, like detailed raw image editing and stuff like that. Like a little bit deeper than Photoshop, where Photoshop is more for you know final final product and whatever. Lightroom actually is like your development studio if you were developing on film, right? It, it controls exposure limits and you get to more detail uh, in the photo as well as, uh, you know, managing all your photos and stuff like that. So that's kind of what Digicam does. That's what uh, Darktable does, allows you to apply some more detailed and more interesting mechanics to the raw photos. I found something the other day, or I was told about something the other day for doing video editing that sounded really interesting, and I'm trying desperately to remember what it was. It was like DaVinci something. Blackmagic DaVinci Resolve? Yeah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> yeah, that's down by the Premiere oh, Pro. Oh, it's down a little bit further. Okay, sorry. <laughs> You're uh, still stuck on Lightroom being a video editor. It's not. <laughs> no, Lightworks. Lightworks is yeah, a video Lightworks editor. Lightworks is a video editor, too, yeah. and I think that one does work in Linux as well. Yes, it does. Uh, okay. So then Inkscape, you can replace Illustrator with Inkscape is a vector editor, among other things. Uh, yeah, I think a lot of people had mentioned Krita too for that as a, as an option, but, um, for some reason it didn't end up in this list. Oh, well, there you go. Uh, Scribus for InDesign. Scribus is, of course, a desktop publisher app. Um, let's see. Blackmagic DaVinci Resolve. There it is for Premiere Pro. Uh, Blackmagic Fusion for After Effects for doing like cool animations and things like that or cartoonies or whatever. Uh, PDF Exchange for Acrobat DC. Uh, Blue Griffin or Brackets for Dreamweaver. Dreamweaver. Yeah. <laughs> uh, There's going to have Gary Wright in my head the whole time now. Right. Uh, Audacity or what's the thing I just mentioned? Reaper uh, for Adobe Audition. Uh, in Irfan view, I don't think I've heard of that one for bridge. What's bridge? What part of that is, uh, mm, I'm not, not familiar sure. with that part of the suite. 
Let's see, what is Earth in View? It's a graphic viewer. Whatever that is. <laughs> it looks like just a you know, a visual for looking at graphics. Like paint. Oh, light. Okay. All right. Maybe it's a bitmap of it or something. Yeah, probably. All right. And then you can replace the media encoder with handbrake, which is a great media yeah. encoder. You probably use FFmpeg as well. Uh, yeah, ham- handbrake is awesome. Yeah, handbrake is very cool. All right, uh, the information was obtained from ZDNet. So if you want to check that out, the link to the story, full story, will be in the show notes. All right, so we're going to go up to Canada. And- Chinadia! Yeah. So tell us about Canada. Yeah, so uh, the open source software win in Canada. The Canada federal government published a new IT directive that mandates the use of open source software first before considering proprietary software. And, of course, let's see Appendix C for relevant phrasing. And, of course, we pulled this all out because we're so effective at uh, gathering news and stuff like that. Uh, no, somebody else did. <laughs> this, this was from Reddit, of course. So, uh, you know, there's always the TLDRs <laughs> that help uh, shorten everything up. But here you go. So for application architecture, uh, they are to use open standards and solutions by default. Uh, where possible, use open standards and open source software first. And if an open source software option is not available or does not meet the user's needs, favor platform agnostic uh, commercial off-the-shelf software over proprietary COTS. Uh, commercial off the shelf, yeah. Commercial off the shelf software, yeah, whatever. Avoiding uh, technology dependency, allowing for substitutability and interoperability. Big words. And uh, <laughs> if a custom built application is the appropriate option by default, any source code written by the government must be released in an open format via Government of Canada websites and services designated by the Treasury Board of Canada Secretariat. <laughs> I guess that's a horse. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, know. isn't that the horse? <laughs> <laughs> I think so. <laughs> All source code must be released under an appropriate open source software license and expose public data to implement open data and open information initiatives. So, uh, yeah, that, that came to us from uh, from a story on Reddit. And I uh, also have the links to the actual uh, uh, details in the government uh, documentation online. So, yeah, that's, that's pretty good. Pretty good directives for uh, for a government agency. Yeah, that's pretty good. I like how they're focusing on the open source, which they should be, because governments are supposed to be transparent too, which they never are. And you know, so, but but Canada, they're they're our nicer northern cousins. <laughs> <laughs> they're the first to fall <laughs> <laughs> when we make uh, you know America out of all of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's where all the Mexicans are going that we're trying to stop from coming into our country. <laughs> well, see, they'll soon be citizens. <laughs> all right, what happened to my Etherpad? Okay, oh, no. No, I thought it was broken there, <laughs> but it's not. Okay, so I'm going to read this story, but Bill, you're going to tell me what it is. The contract for the web is this? Is this also Canada? No, this is actually uh, Tim Berners Lee. Okay, who's yeah, uh, the guy that invented the interwebs? Yes, and is also familiar with its legal intricacies yeah so the contract for the web governments oh we're talking about governments oh no (laughs) tim berners lee says in his contract for the web governments it says will not even it's not even shall it's will governments will ensure everyone can connect to the internet so that anyone no matter who they are or where they live can participate actively online well somebody should tell my internet service provider that (laughs) that this is needs to happen 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, keep all of the internet available all of the time. That sounds very net neutrality-ish. Um, so that no one is denied their right to full internet access and respect people's fundamental right to privacy so everyone can use the internet freely, safely, and without fear. Looking at you, China. Okay, companies <laughs> will make the internet affordable and accessible to everyone <laughs> so that... No- <laughs> So that no one is excluded from using and shaping the web. Respect. Oh, wait, we're not talking about a capitalist nation here. Okay, oh, right. Right now, right. <laughs> yeah, we're definitely talking about utopia here. Uh, yes. Respect consumers' privacy and personal data so people are in control of their lives online. Develop technologies that support the best in humanity and challenge the worst so the web really is a public good that puts people first. Citizens will be creators and collaborators on the web. So the web has rich and relevant content for everyone. So much for all the porn. Uh, build strong communities that respect civil discourse and human dignity. Again, so much for all the porn. Um, and fight for the web. So the web remains open and a global public resource for people everywhere now and in the future. Wow, that is so, <laughs> so idealistic. It's, yeah. Well, you know, this kind of goes along with our open source segment. This is like an open idea. And it talks about some things that are open, um, some things that would never happen. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good guiding principle. You know, he's, he's obviously been in the news lately. Uh, there was a, a New York uh, Times article uh, about him. Uh, and one of the things he was mentioning, of course, was his contract for the web. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, what's the world coming to kind of thing? You know, face bag, uh, giving away all your data. You know, you have all these, uh, third parties and, uh, you know, I, I can see where he's coming from and why, uh, we need to kind of have this ideal idea <laughs> of what the interwebs are. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not sure what to really make of it that much. Well, I, I think from, from a truly idealistic perspective, it would be wonderful if all of these things happen. Yeah. But I also think it would destroy the internet because <laughs> I mean, if, if everybody's playing nice and doing everything that they're supposed to do, it really wouldn't be the internet. Would it? I mean, yeah, I mean, well, I mean it would, it would, it would be a very different internet. <laughs> well, yeah, there's a trade off, right? right? Cause like somebody has to define what respectful civil discourse is and what, you know, human dignity is you know <laughs> and so everyone feels safe and welcome online uh-huh. even people who have ideas that aren't the same as yours well isn't the idealistic view of the world supposed to support the idea that people can have unpopular and controversial views and they should be recognized if not uh you know not condoned necessarily but at least recognized and allowed to be no that's not allowed anymore oh, haven't okay. you been watching the tv <laughs> I, I haven't actually watched yeah, CNN for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> Open ideas is not uh, is not allowed anymore. Oh, unless it's funded by somebody that actually is a sponsor of your program. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, e- equal time is no longer a thing. Not not that it ever really was, but respect consumers' privacy and personal data so long as it's worth less money leaving it alone. (laughs) 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 Yeah, whatever. Cubicle Nate says of Tim Berners-Lee, wait, isn't that the same guy that pushed the DRM extension standard through the W3C? (laughs) I don't know if that's true or not, but that's the comment, and there it is. So, 
Yeah, I think we should just move on. Right, let's do that. <laughs> so let's get Cheryl back into this here as we move into our Linux and the Hamshack topics, and she can tell us about a a new release of a uh, up and coming piece of software. All righty then. The newest piece of software is the JS8 Call 0.10.1, which has been released. It has fixes for CQ repetitions, logging deselection, and Windows text statistics. Hot off the heels of the .10 release at the end of November, we have a little quick patch that was pushed out last week. Full change log. Restore the deselect call sign after logging setting. Remove FT8 reference from all.text. Fixed number one. Automatic repeat CQ was not transmitting with setting was not checked. Fixed number seven. Deselect call sign on save log should be visible in the settings. And fixed issues with frame counting and text statistics. All right. Very good. So uh, a sub point release of JS8 call. I noticed in the when they went from point nine to point one oh that they made um what is it uh beaconing like uh you had to select it. You couldn't just like turn it on and have your station automatically oh, okay. beacon every thirty minutes or whatever. <laughs> you have to have to actually push a button and then when it gets done sending out the beacon it disables. So Yeah. Yeah, so they've been pretty active over there on the uh, <clears throat> on the mailing list. So if you haven't been uh, involved in JSA call with all the chatter we've had about it, and of course the interwebs have had about it, uh, go over and uh, join the mailing list and uh, get involved and uh, start following it. It definitely seems to be uh, uh, growing in popularity and use. So uh, I think they just had their uh, I think they just had like a little mini QSO party or something like that over the last weekend or maybe the previous one. And I think they're scheduling more. So, uh, you know, they want to definitely test the software out. And uh, the more they can create activity for it, uh, there's going to be better. And, of course, it works great in Linux. And I think they also added, I think the point one release added the ability to full screen the app, because apparently you couldn't do that before. <laughs> like the box wouldn't resize, the windows wouldn't resize right. and stuff like that. So <clears throat> so that's something new as well with that. I was going to put in there the some of the dot one things because I think the last time we talked about it was like point nine two. So, <laughs> all right, very good. I have seen quite a few more calls or uh, transmissions come down the waterfall as I've kept uh, JSA call open. So it's nice to see some actual activity in there. Again, it's not going to be FT eight, but at least you know it's something. Yeah. All right. So we have more software. Speaking of digital modes and weak signal modes uh, coming out. And Bill, why don't you let us know about the latest version of? Well, this is this is like a big release here. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. This uh, speaking of FT8, we have uh, WSJTX 2.0 is general uh, availability release is out, and as the ARRL put it in their uh, Twitter feed, uh, WSJTX full release. <laughs> okay. I had to go on with the porn comment. So anyway, no, I, I heard uh, full, full Monty in my head. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when I was reading, I was like, really? They use full release. That's not even, <laughs> they call it GA general availability. Anyway, <laughs> no, it's the full Someone release. Was, Flexing yeah, products and everything. Release. I was going to screenshot it. But never mind. <laughs> anyway, if you've been using the version uh, 1.9.1 or earlier, which apparently there's quite a bit, you know, quite a bit of people that are still using these, uh, this uh, 1.9 build, um, which is completely incompatible with the version two releases. 
it's been incompatible with the RC one, two, three, all of those. Um, you've probably been still making contacts because there's still many of you using it. But now that we're to a GA release, now's the time to go ahead and get rid of that piece of junk and get on the version two, which has a completely different uh, uh, protocol for FT8 and MSK144, I believe, as well. So, uh, yeah, if you want to uh, to get the latest, greatest, you need to upgrade to 2.0. So here's some of the new features that we have in WSJTX uh, uh, 2.0. We have compound and non-standard call signs are automatically recognized and handled by the using the new FTA and MF, MSK144 messaging formats. So these compound and non-standard call signs, these are the ones that have, like, you're, you're in Alaska, just, uh, you know, traveling around. So you're, you know, KL7 stroke NE4RD, or you have a... A UK call sign, you know, M0PZT, and you're in W7 land. So you have the W7 stroke M0PZT. So, yeah, it'll handle all those now. Before, it would actually break the call sign up and uh, do some weird stuff, and it was kind of a pain in the log, <laughs> some of those calls, because they would uh, tr- keep the original call sign, which was like a Japan or something like that, depending upon where the guy's original call is from, and then it would just freak out at the uh, actually trying to match that up. So now it can actually handle that. So that's that's really great. Uh, the new FT8 protocol provides optimized message formats for the North American VHF contest, uh, European VHF contest, AWRL field day, and AWRL ready roundup. Similarly, with the new uh, MSK144 protocol, it provides uh, message formats for the North American VHF and European VHF contests. Full support is provided for the stroke R and stroke P calls. That's for your rovers and portables. So that's pretty cool. Uh, the new protocols provide nearly equal or better sensitivity compared to the old ones and lower false decode rates. And the only thing is it won't decode the old ones. So <laughs> upgrade, upgrade, upgrade. Uh, new logging features are provided for contesting. And for Fox de-expedition mode, logging is optionally integrated with N- uh, N1MM uh, Logger Plus and Write Log. Uh, color highlighting of decoded messages provides worked before status for call signs, grid locators, DXCC entities, uh, continents, CQ zones, ITU zones on a by band and by mode basis. And for stations that have uploaded their logs to logbook of the world uh, within a specific time interval. So it sounds like they've added uh, some of those toolbars that you used to download separately and stuff like that to uh, directly in the software. I actually haven't loaded 2.0, <laughs> so I haven't seen it. So I'm going to gonna go do that after the show probably and uh, and take a look at it and see what I'm missing out. I'm going to have to do that um, too because I'm pretty sure I'm on one nine something. So. <laughs> yeah. The uh, Whisper Decoder now achieves decodes down to a uh, signal noise level of negative 31 dB, and that's very, very, very low. For the particular benefit of LF and MF users, uh, an option of uh, no own call decodes has been added. No own call decodes. I'm assuming that's if you hear yourself. I, I don't know. That's kind of strange. Um, I'll probably have to research that now. Uh, the UDP messages sent to the companion programs have been expanded and approved. So this is, uh, again, very good news. Uh, and being able to plug in different things to this particular application. Uh, and I should talk with more information, which uh, if you're... Uh, if your current logging program doesn't have direct uh, access or remote access into WSJTX, so you can kind of get the log directly feeding into it, it might be a lot easier now to make that integration occur. And, of course, this comes from the release notes uh, over there on the Princeton website. All right, very good. Major release of WSJTX is in the wild, and just remember that it's totally incompatible with the ones that came before. So 
Completely. Completely. So you can talk with the people who are using one nine, or you can talk with the people using two o, unless you run both, which you could do. You could do. <laughs> you could do. That would be stupid, though. Don says he's <laughs> Don't both. do that. Don't do that. <laughs> Don, just run the new one and cross your fingers. Bill, Bill just called you stupid. Okay. didn't call him stupid i called the idea of running both of them stupid. (laughs) well since he's doing that how isn't like a plus b equals b plus c (laughs) whatever (laughs) all right anyway moving on we're down to the social media roundup so we'll have to give this a go and we are actually picking up a few more patreons which is nice i know once we get up around whiskey tribe territory and we're we're breaking in twenty one thousand dollars a month and i'm gonna retire um <laughs> but we got a little ways to go <laughs> uh but anyway so cheryl take it away all right this week for our patreons we have david jaquay doug redder stephen harp andy webster pete caffrey cubicle nate darren king donald gover john spriggs jonas rulo Paul Griffith, Robert Pitts, Samuel Vimes, Steve Metcalf, Steve Sainer, and William Heckelman. For subscriptions, we have Kevin Ivey, Bill Collins, Tony Coberly, James Lewis, Jeff Zimmerman, Steve Hepler, Michael Jopling, Steve Nichols, Todd Bowers, Thor Wiegman, Charlie Brown, Wayne Carpenter, Bill Piotr, Aaron King, Dylan Engel, Alan Wilson, John Clark, Robert Halliday, Brian Smith, Johnny Kinsey, Robert excuse me robert i wow ronald ike robert yerke michael connelly and jeremy hall for facebook we have alethiros cosmos and excuse me if i butcher that and kevin murders uh no one on google plus for twitter we have at mal Pasan, at mal burgos at msklan at dj Aquay and at Tim Coronel. On YouTube, we have Larry Abels, Joe Buckhorn, Sebastian Dentz, and Gregory Feistel. On the mailing list, we had OZ2BO join us, and there were no merchandise sales. Nope, that's it. There were no merchandise sales. <clears throat> but we did get, let's see, OZ2BO, by the way, is Bo Rasmussen. So I looked up. He's from Denmark. Wow. Yeah, very cool. Uh, so that is it. That is 263 in the bag. How about that? Ooh. Amazing. Woo-hoo. But thanks all the new Patreons and everybody else who supports the show, whether it's financially or by simply listening. We really appreciate it. And we'll be back in a few days' time with episode number 264, where we put the weekender out so we can tell you about some upcoming things that are happening in the world of open source and amateur radio. And then uh, episode number 265, which comes out in two weeks from tonight, that'll be on the, oh no, that'll be one week. One week. week. Yeah, the 17th. <laughs> yeah, ne- next Monday. Yep. So that will be our uh, year end roundtable roundup. We're, we'll uh, talk a little bit about what's going on in 2018. And we'll invite all of you who have access to Mumble to come in and chat with us. So it'll be. A public free-for-all on episode number 265, and then we'll take a little bit of a break, and we'll come back in uh, early 2019 to kind of do it all over again. I need to remind our favorite chef that he should join us. That's true. So, do you remember your favorite chef's uh, 
Call sign. K nine KJN. That's it. K nine KJN. Very good. All right. I only asked you that because I couldn't remember. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Put you on the yeah. spot. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we'll see you on the next episode. This has been episode number 263 of Linux in the Ham Shack. I'm Russ, K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, NE4RD73. Linux in the Ham Shack. Thank you for listening to this episode of Linux in the Ham Shack. LHS is a community-sponsored podcast. Our website is located at lhspodcast.info. You can support the program by visiting the LHS Patreon page of patreon.com stroke lhspodcast or using the contribute link on the website. Get in touch via social media. The show has a presence on Google+, Facebook, Twitter, Discord and YouTube. Or you can drop an email to info at lhspodcast.info or record a voicemail at 1-909-LHS-SHOW. That's 1-909-547-7469. Visit the IRC channel, LHS Podcast, on the Freenode IRC network. Also visit the online merchandise store at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable LHS merchandise. Become an ambassador and represent LHS at a Linux convention or ham fest. Email ambassadors at lhspodcast.info or visit the website for details. The podcast is recorded live every Monday night at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time. Connect to the stream at stream.blacksparrowmedia.net colon 8008 stroke LHS live. Until next time, over and out. in the ham shack and the linux in the ham shack logo are released under a creative commons attribute non-commercial no derivatives 4.0 international license